Hello and welcome to While You Were Steeping, a curatorial tea and culture podcast. I'm Michael Mandelios. And I'm Hayden Rogers. And today we're going to be talking about tea as part of the British identity. Identity. Ooh, that wasn't even oh, intentional. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's going to have to be in the title of the episode now. Yes, yes, the absolutely. British identity. Oh, yuck. I hate it, but no, I love it. No, it's happening. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this this uh, turned out to be a huge, huge subject, obviously. Like, I don't know why we thought it wouldn't be, but it, <laughs> it's too big for one episode. <laughs> Absolutely. So, at some point, we're going to delve into this into a lot of detail. But, basically, what we wanted to explore today is how tea became such a universally identified facet of British culture and Mm. the fact that pretty much around the world, whenever anybody pictures someone from England, they imagine tea. Um, So it's not not just, it's not just universally a part of the British culture, but it's so universally a part of that culture that it's even embedded in other people's perceptions of Britain, which is wild. That's absolutely nuts. I actually saw a, um, like someone's Instagram story or something today that uh, was just a picture of a, a teapot with like five spouts pouring five cups of tea at once, and it was entitled English Porn. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and that is what the episode is about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole episode. We're done. <laughs> so we're, we're going to delve into basically the history of how uh, tea became so ridiculously popular and so... Um, so completely ubiquitous all around the UK. Mm. Where should we start, Hayden? Um, well, I have gone, as I want to do, to a fairly specific place. Um, so if you have anything right. about, like, early tea history, I think that's probably best. I do. Yeah, so I, I went into, I was looking for, I, was, I went specifically searching for some kind of history of a British propaganda campaign or a British market trend or, or something that was maybe um, instigated by the British government that would be the reason that I could attribute to uh, tea becoming so popular in the UK. Interestingly, I couldn't really find one, and I'll get into this into a little more detail, but basically from about the 1700s or so, um, tea just became progressively more and more popular across the UK in in everyday households. And it became more accessible, more commonly drunk. It still wasn't super cheap at this point, but once um, once it made its way from high aristocracy, uh, a la the story that Hayden told in one of our earlier episodes about Catherine of Braganza, it, it did start to become a lot more prolific in everyday households. And that was... Uh, it was still expensive, but it was drunk by everyone. And then from the late 1800s, once the, uh, once the East India Company ceased its monopoly on tea in China, Indian-grown tea became super competitive because of free trade, and all of a sudden it became really, really cheap. And so it was basically from the late 1800s that tea became not only widely drunk, but all of a sudden it was also very, very affordable. Mm. And that was when it started to become really commonly associated with the British identity. Yeah, and identity. actually, <laughs> randomly, I have a ran- I like put this random fact in that I read um, just because I knew Hit this me. would come up. So around the exact time you're talking about, um, when it became 
uh, sort of accessible to any class level. Um, they like historically looking back on it, they're like, oh, this was actually a really good thing, not only because of like the benefits of tea, but also because they had to boil the water, which at the time was yes, because the untreated. water wasn't really drinkable. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So very yes, I also found that same thing. I love that. Um, which very common. That's also part of the reason that um the consumption of alcohol mm. was such a big thing in Western Europe for such a long time. Yeah, similarly, yeah, undrinkable water. So then we get to the beginning of the World Wars. So basically by about 1901, as I said, tea had become really firmly established as as a part of the British culture. And this was kind of officially recognised by the government because when the World, First World War began, the government took over the importation of tea into Britain because they wanted to make sure that they could continue to provide it affordably because they believed that it was essential to morale. Um, and so they, they took over the importation and they kind of controlled and rationed tea accordingly so that they could make sure that it was easily and readily accessible to military forces and to the public because basically they didn't want people to get depressed by a shortage of tea in the middle of a war. <laughs> And they did this again in the Second World War as well. Um, And so tea was rationed from 1940 until 1952. Uh, And there were tea auctions and whatnot, um, which had been taking place back in the 1700s. So they re-established those in the middle of the Second World War as well. And basically it improved communication and growth uh, of tea in, in those producing uh, nations. So what that then meant is that eventually those auctions ended in the late 1900s. But yeah, it was so important to morale, as I mentioned, Winston Churchill literally referred to it in a speech as being more important than ammunition. Well, I mean, fair enough. (laughs) So jumping back uh, into the 1800s again, uh, in fact, back to like sort of the 1830s, uh, is where we find the genesis of Earl Grey tea. Now, there are a few teas. I'd probably say Earl Grey and English breakfast are the two teas that anyone thinking about, like, English tea is going to go, this is this is English tea. Um, and rightly so. So Earl Grey, as you might think, was named after an Earl of Grey. <laughs> um, he was potentially, this is the, the stories, and I guess it's probably fairly accurate, um, the second Earl of Grey. And he oh, was also a British Prime Minister okay. in the 1830s, uh, also known as Viscount Howick. And his government was actually the one, I don't, don't know if it's like particularly this time, but the one that saw the abolition of slavery in the UK. So there are conflicting stories about this, which actually turned up a bit of uh, drama in the tea community of the UK. We love controversy. Um, yes, so, good. Uh, so the sort of prevailing myth was that he received it as a gift, uh, like the recipe for Earl Grey tea, which, by the way, for those who don't know, is a black tea blend with bergamot citrus oil in it to give it that amazing flavour. One, the like sort of the more... I guess out there, not really out there, but you know, <laughs> um, legend is that it was a diplomatic perk. It was gift. Um, and it was given to him by a Chinese Mandarin man whose son was rescued from drowning by one of Lord Grey's men. Um, wow. and presented it to the Earl in 1803. However, 
that's probably a lie because oh no uh, that's so disappointing apparently lord gray never set foot in china <laughs> so oh, no. it, okay. i guess it could have been someone like indirectly hired by him i don't know uh <laughs> that's really that's kind of gross actually because the more you think about that 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 could be like a real like white savior story that they just made up yeah he just goes around telling everybody <laughs> in the uk that he saved this young chinese boy yeah when in fact he never even went to china well According to the family themselves, the tea was specially blended by a Chinese Mandarin man for him. Um, okay. But instead, it was to suit the water, the, like the flavour of the water at Hoek Hall. Oh, um, fascinating. So apparently there was like a, a like sort of concentration of lime in the local water. Uh, so they, their Hoek Hall is in Northumberland. And bergamot was used to like offset <laughs> that flavour. Um, which is kind of wild. That's so cool. Um, so then Lady Grey was always using this tea whenever they hosted people. And she was like, can we sell this to people? And that's how Twinings sort of got a hold of it. But that is hotly contested as well. Um, so Twinings is like the oldest tea brand. How old in- is it? Okay. Get ready for this. So it first opened... In 1706. Oh, my God. That's insane. And still operates in the same building today. No way. Yes. Also, the logo for Twinings was created in 1787 and is the world's oldest logo in continuous use. They haven't changed the logo? No. Like, I've seen them. They, like, bent it into an arch one time and stuff like that, but it's, like, the same text. That's nuts. Anyway, the drama is that Twinings. So apparently, when I was reading about Earl Grey on Wikipedia, full disclosure, uh, (laughs) it said that Twinings website cited this myth about the the Chinese Mandarin man uh, making it, right? However, I was like, I'm going to go read the website then. The website actually says nowadays, um, in 1831, we created Earl Grey tea in our shop on the Strand on the request of the Prime Minister. He loved it so much, he gave his name to it. Before long, it had taken London by storm, and it is still a firm favourite amongst people who like things with a twist, who travel off the beaten track and don't always play by the rules. <laughs> wow, so Twinings are taking credit for the invention of Earl Grey. Well, it gets be- it gets worse, slash better, really, <laughs> because um, actually Twinings bought a- another long-standing tea company with which they had a rivalry called Jackson's of Piccadilly. And they also claimed to be the original, like, creators of Earl Grey tea. They claimed that Lord Grey gave them the recipe to one of their associates. Right. Yeah, and that's how they got it. So now it's kind of like Twinings bought them and also purchased their story, which is now their new story. That's incredible. That's absolutely... And this is why you check your sources from Wikipedia. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So Earl Grey is now actually, I mean, it possibly always was, uh, even when they were in competition, but it's like a signature of the Twinings brand. It's like, this is Twinings tea. Uh, It's incredible. Yeah. I am actually inclined to believe that it was Jackson's of Piccadilly that uh, actually invented it because they were known for 
blending teas and selling them on to the public, which at the time was kind of unusual because the public blended the teas themselves. So mm. an example given was uh, the, the Lady London Dairy Mixture Tea. Um, and it was a blend of teas from the foothills of Ceylon, uh, Darjeeling, and the garden, tea gardens in Formosa. It was prepared for the Marchioness of London Dairy, Edith Vane Tempest Stewart. And in 1932, she gave permission for the blend to be registered to her name. So it kind of follows a trend, you know, that a tea was sort of blended for a particular socialite and then they registered the name mm-hmm. with it. So I'm sort of like, I think Jackson's. I, I, could, I couldn't actually find like any detail on this rivalry. I think, shouldn't this be a movie or something? But like, um, you know, I think that Jackson's maybe came up with Earl Grey and then Twining's like lied and stole it and bought the whole company. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We definitely need a movie made out of that. Yeah. I'm going to bring you back to the World Wars because there's some more interesting info that I stumbled upon here. So once we got to World War II, in 1939, as I said, the British took over the control of tea or control of tea rationing. Mm. And they were afraid, very rightfully so, that um, that Nazi German air raids over London would destroy their reserves of tea. So they relocated. This was one of their, like, top priorities. (laughs) They relocated their reserves of tea outside of (laughs) London. And, you know, they were basically just, like, rearranging stuff. But it was amazing because then they started, um, as I said, rationing tea. And so they, they had to set out, like, edicts. People were only allowed to consume two ounces per week if they were over the age of five. Um, and that was seven years of that rationing. Now, two ounces can actually make three cups in a day. So two ounces in a week (laughs) was actually quite a lot. But a study from last year, August 2019, showed that 13% of people in the UK drink six or more cups of tea in a day. Wow. And 45% of people in the UK drink between two and five cups of tea in a day. Sweet Lord. Yes. So it turns out that two ounces of tea um, (laughs) per week was actually, you know, generous, but also basically scraping the the average. Wow. And I'm sort of like two cups of tea is like my max (laughs) in a day. Yeah. Unless we're doing a tea tasting. And so they were so desperate to keep tea in good supply during the war because they really felt that it was like absolutely paramount to morale that they um they purchased all of the exportable surpluses from India and Ceylon for um the year of 1942 so they they purchased about 698 million pounds of tea <laughs> yeah what and what that means is this is my favorite thing in the world in the year of <laughs> 1942 the commodities that Britain bought in, so in order of weight, were bullets, tea, artillery shells, bombs, and explosives. Oh my goodness. Tea was the second highest. In terms of weight. British import. Out of a list of metal yeah. things. <laughs> and it continued that way for, for most of the war. Um, so it's estimated that there were... At any given time, roughly 30 million tons of tea just sitting around somewhere in Britain. I'm going to keep going. Okay. 
So then, again, we're, we're coming back to morale here. It's all about morale and the way that they perceived tea to be really important to keeping everybody's spirits up. Um, over one night, the Royal British Air Force carried out a supply drop of 75,000 tea bombs, like boxes of tea, over the Nazi-occupied Netherlands. And in each of them were a one-ounce bag of tea from the Dutch East Indies, and they came with a little message that was like, the Netherlands will rise again, chins up. Um, and oh. when the Red Cross sent supplies to allied prisoners of war, each supply box would contain a pack of Twining's tea. Oh my goodness. Twining strikes again. Yeah. So it's crazy. And like this, this morale thing, this, <laughs> this issue or this, this link to morale was so well known that... Um, that the German forces deliberately targeted Mincing Lane, which is one of the main um, streets in London, which is literally known as being the street of tea. Um, So even in the 1950s, Mincing Lane was responsible for almost a third of the world's tea importing and exporting. Um, It was like the tea centre of the world, this one street. And so, yeah, the German forces targeted it for their bombing because they were like, we're going to hit you where it hurts. We're going to get your tea. That's incredible. Yeah. But also, when you say mincing lane, I think of, like, people, like, mincing, mincing like, down the street. Like, Absolutely. Mincing, mincing. So, right. <laughs> As they get their tea, like, that's what I would do. Which, I mean, again, very, very fitting yeah. to mince down mincing lane for your tea. So, yeah. Um, I just... And that brings us to a world today where um, British people still drink anywhere between two and six <laughs> <laughs> cups of tea in a day. Well, another modern, surprisingly modern tea is Lady Grey. Lady Grey was uh-huh. only created by Twinings in the 1990s. Um, I just assumed it would have been like similarly old, but it was uh, created to appeal to the Nordic market, which found Earl Grey tea too strong in flavour. And it's actually a trademarked name to Twinings. Um, and yeah, it just it's very similar to Earl Grey for anyone who tries it. I actually find it stronger, so I, it's weird to me that it was created to be milder. Um, but it contains lemon and orange peel and first went on sale in Norway in 1994 before going on sale in Britain in 96. Wow, so it sold outside of England first. Yeah, and was like created basically, it's basically as old as we are, or as I am. <laughs> That's absolutely nuts. That's so crazy. Another tea, which I guess would be the first one to come to mind, probably should have started with it, was English breakfast, is English breakfast. Um, I'm shook, though, because apparently the term English breakfast started in America. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yep. Um, So drinking a breakfast tea is is like a custom in British, Irish, Scottish culture. You know, it's just sort of like a thing. Um, That goes back to like at least the 18th century. But uh, the actual term English breakfast tea is claimed to have originated by a American dated back to 1843 uh, in America, in New York, to a tea merchant named Richard Davies, who was an English immigrant. Um, And they were actually like there was like an investigation to find the original journal in which this was referenced, but they failed to actually locate it. But then they came upon an earlier reference uh, to the same story in an 1876 edition of the Daily Alta California, um, which cited a New York journal, which was the thing they were trying to find. 
um, and the tea origin in, in 1844. Hmm. But yeah, so it's it's success. This blends this particular blend success led to like imitators, and then it became popular in America. But then in the UK, uh, its popularization is largely attributed to Queen Victoria. Um, so in Balmoral in 1892, she tasted and enjoyed a blend that was named English Breakfast. And so she returned to London with a small supply, or probably a big supply, let's be honest. <laughs> and um, so despite her sort of trying this tea in Scotland, it has this name of English Breakfast. That's amazing. I love that. And as usual, like the royals are the ones who are popularizing different types of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of just how incredibly popular tea is, we really should talk about one of the one of the things that we we knew a little bit about that led us to to this episode in the first place. So, what what can you tell me about this phenomenon that you know, Hayden? Okay. So, as far as I know, in England, uh the power grid is directly affected by at, at sort of like a certain time in the evening, early evening, everyone in England finishes a popular TV show at like, you know, 6 PM or something. And they all turn on their electric kettles at the same time, causing a huge power surge, which has caused power outages, but I believe is fixed now. <laughs> That's right. So basically you, you hit it on the money. So, um, and, and it's referred to as, um, TV pickup. That's actually what the, what the phenomenon is called by the engineers right. of the that. national grid. And it's basically, um, it, it, it combines the fact that a lot of citizens in the UK will watch soap operas or, you know, think like EastEnders or home and away neighbors, that kind of thing. Um, mm. And then inevitably, as soon as it finishes, the first thing they'll do is get up, go to the kitchen and make themselves a cup of tea at pretty much exactly the same time. Now, it's estimated that, um, you know, a a kettle uses roughly a thousand to uh, one and a half thousand watts, roughly. And of course, so for about three to five minutes after the end of any popular TV show and this information, by the way, is not outdated. This is from like 2017 um, that mm. this information is still current. I would be interested to see how it's been impacted with um, streaming services because obviously people aren't necessarily oh, yeah. watching TV at exactly the same time anymore. Um, mm. But obviously lots of people still watch scheduled television. Anyway, um, so it's estimated that there's anywhere between one to two million electric kettles being <sighs> used at any given time during like a TV pickup period. So there's a quote from uh, the energy operations manager at the National Grid. His name is Alan Smart. And he says, the way to think about it is to imagine that you're in your car and your challenge is to keep the car at exactly 50 miles an hour. You press on the accelerator as you go up the hill and you ease off on the other side. Because we can't store electricity in it, we have to forecast second by second. So they can't just, you know, store the electricity and wait for it to, you know, be used while it's, um, w- when the TV pickup hits. And my absolute favorite thing about it is that they have TVs in the offices of the national grid so that they can watch <laughs> the shows that they're, ex- you know, and they'll track the ratings. They'll like keep up with the plot lines and whatnot so that they know which episodes will be, will be popular. 
Um, be- and then they will watch the TV in the That's office so, so that they can know exactly when the episode is going to end and exactly how they need to account for it. Uh, yeah. That's incredible. Watching Home and Away is is part of their job. <laughs> it's a scientific measurement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so to accommodate for this, with all of that pre-planning and whatnot, it's very, very difficult to ramp up power fast enough from normal baseline sources, you know, the cheaper sources like coal and whatnot. And so this is my favorite thing in the world. There are a series of power stations that are basically like dedicated to this phenomenon, to TV pickup. (laughs) Yeah. And they use hydroelectric batteries, basically. I'm doing batteries in air quotes, which are capable of going (laughs) from zero production to peak production in under a minute. And what they do is they release massive amounts of water stored at a height and the water runs down to generators below. Wow. So there's one in Wales, which has the highest response time uh, out of any of the pumped storage facilities. They're able to take the power output from zero to maximum, which is 1,800 megawatts in roughly 16 seconds. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. This is incredible. Like tea, this is just another example. It's like we've we've spoken about how tea like influences, you know, politics, shaping of countries, all these things. But like, here's another example. Here's tea literally creating power plants and changing like the power grid of an entire nation. Yeah, it's just, it's really just incredible. So my favorite is there's like a record, there's a record listing of it. It was a semi-final World Cup match between England and Germany in 1990. It was watched by an estimated 25 million people. Mm. Now, for reference, the country's population at the time was about 57 million. So we're literally talking half the country. Yeah. (laughs) And so when it ended, roughly 1.2 million Brits went to the kitchen, you know, to pour themselves a cup of tea, which created an instant demand of an additional 2,800 megawatts of power. (gasps) Now, for reference... The normal total demand on the entire grid during peak times of that year is about 40,000 megawatts. So that 2,800 wow. as a part of 40,000 happened in one day. <laughs> for the year, 40,000 for the year. 40,000 for the year during peak <gasps> time. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. So, yes. So it is true. You know, um, as a phenomenon. And of course, something that surprised or that like jumped into my mind when we were doing this was, of course, a lot of Americans don't have electric kettles in their house. They so don't. Like for any, no. So for any of our um, American listeners, this will be a really interesting like conversation because it's so, so expected for us as Australians having imported, you know, British culture mm. primarily. Um I mean, I do have a stovetop kettle. That's how I uh, <laughs> make my tea. Yeah, but you've had electric kettles before. Yes, I've, we we had one when we lived together. And I bet you still have an electric kettle. Um, no, I don't, but... Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Mm. Save some space, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's something like, I'm pretty sure like 80% of Americans don't have an electric kettle. Oh, crazy. Yeah, they make their coffee with those weird filter machines. <laughs> Hateful. <laughs> well, I think we've sufficiently delved into some of the details of, of identity in Britain. Identity! There's still so much more. So much. We're absolutely going to have to 
dig deeper into a lot of this as we as we keep going. But for now, I think we should try some tea. Yes, please. Well, here we go. Three teas, tea tasting time, and we do have three teas this week. Uh, yes. I don't think we've said that for such a long time. I think we said that in like week one. It was, pre- it was pretty early on, now. yeah, and you're right. So. We haven't stuck with the three teas, but they've always been there in the background. In our think. hearts. Um. In our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> so, luckily for you, we don't have to tell you about uh, any new tea friends, tea partners this week. We're going back to some old favourites uh, mm-hmm. and trying some new teas from some of our old favourites. So, what have we got up first, Hayden? Well, I'm just going to throw my... Uh, most excited one in there first. Um, so from teas.com.au, we have a Jinshan creme, which is an oolong tea. Um, I've just been a huge fan of oolong ever since we tried their other oolong. Hayden has not been shutting up about oolong for the last <laughs> week. And when we said, what will we try this week? He not at all subtly said, oh, well, maybe an oolong, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't regret it because this smells like <laughs> Literal popcorn. Um, <laughs> it smells so good. Like, I can tell it why. Does it does smell exactly like popcorn. You're right. I can tell why it's like creme, you know, because it has like a very creamy smell. I haven't even tried it yet, but, you know, it smells creamy. And um, again, this one came balled up in beautiful little tightly wound balls. And it's a uh, boiling water, three minutes steep, easy going. Yeah, and funnily enough, the the little oolong balls that they came in didn't look completely dissimilar from the Gabba oolong as well. Mm. Um, So very easy to confuse, very similar look, but you're right, totally different smell. So I'm expecting a totally different taste. Interestingly, when you do Google or or do any kind of um, search for a Jinshuan oolong, you will get a lot of teas that come up with milk in the name. Like I think think Mm. the T2 Jinshuan is literally called milky oolong um mm. and a lot of a lot of them will specifically say that like you can expect it to taste creamy and sure enough you're right it smells like someone's just taken a stick of butter and put it in the microwave yes. for a minute oh yeah and i think we are also discovering that perhaps oolong is usually uh rolled up into little leaf balls Mm, um yes we didn't we did we actually asked that question last time and we didn't ever look it up but from our now two data points we can start assuming we'll call this experiential research yeah yeah okay all right let's do it here we go oh it smells so good oh my god (laughs) oh wow what how is Oolong the best thing I've ever had? And also I've not ever been like exposed to it until now. Hmm. Oh, this is great. There's something, damn it. Why, why do I always do this? I always find things that I can't put my finger on or name. So there's the buttery taste and mm-hmm. then there's something else underneath it. And it's at the end, at the end of the flavor. And it's a little bit sweeter. Can you help, help me out here? <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but yeah, it's hard to describe. It's like candy. I want to, oh my God, it's like Pez. Pez? Yeah, you know Pez? Yeah, I know Pez. Am I crazy? Hang on. 
Or is it something... I can strangely kind of understand what you're talking about. Or like like a strawberry sherbet kind of, like... That's what it is. It's like, oh. I have to say, Pez is actually totally on the money. But do you, do you, do you get what I'm getting at? Like, <laughs> I it's have that to say, little... I'm really right. <laughs> but no, I do. I actually, I would never have thought, like, even, like, picked that out. But... It's at the yeah. very end of yeah. the of it's the kind flavor. of like the ghost of the tea is Pez flavored. <laughs> the Pez um, ghost. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise this tastes like literally a stick of un- of salted butter. Like it's so yeah. good. It's so good. Yes. This is what let's, I am- not, let's not fixate on the Pez for too long and get distracted from saying that this is excellent. This is f- excellent. I'm going to have to beep that out now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also completely like not a, a flavor of tea I've ever had. You know, it's yeah. kind of like in yeah. the realm of Lapsang Souchong, where it's like so, so, so different, different and so heavily like not tea flavored. Like, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it's so good. I'm surprised you never tried this while you were working. I, just, I don't think it was on my radar. I was, you know, obsessed with all the black teas and like the fun fruit ones and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and what I love about this is that it's so simple. Like, on the packet, it literally just says uh, the oolong tea itself, and then it just says flavour, and that's it. Those are the two ingredients. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm like, is is the flavour a stick of butter? <laughs> Have they managed to, to melt a stick of butter into the packet and not tell us? Mm. Oh, my God, I love this. I'm going to put it down because otherwise <laughs> I'm going to drink it all. And I want to save some of that for later. Oh, my God. Wow. Tease AU are really, really killing the they game are. here. It's, yeah. I'm kind of rooting for there to be at least one that is bad. <laughs> just one. Oh, by the way, the vanilla, the vanilla delight that we tried mm. last week that I was a bit ambivalent about. I've had that for breakfast a couple of times in the week mm. since, and it's so good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so won over by it. It's not funny. As soon as I started adding sugar and milk to it and having it with my breakfast, it's I'm obsessed with it now. So I, I take care of it. Okay, back. good. Um, okay, well, I don't really know what's a... Maybe, maybe we switch, switch uh, tea tonic? Switch yeah. providers? Yeah, sure. So our next one is from Teetonic, our friends in Melbourne. So where TZAU are based in Sydney, Teetonic are in the north north of uh, the Melbourne CBD in Abbotsford. And this one is their Australiana tea. Mm. What can you tell us about so this So this one, one is a mixture of lemon myrtle, sage and eucalyptus leaf. I've never had eucalyptus in a, uh, in a tea before, but I'm interested to figure out what it tastes like. It should... I assumingly like evoke some <laughs> Australian uh, nationalism, <laughs> but um... <laughs> don't say nationalism. <laughs> Definitely not nationalism. A, a a a hint of patriotism in our in our beautiful nature and and the gorgeous land on which we live. Oh, it smells good. Very. You good. can like the sage is really like a good complement to these other flavors. I'm mostly only getting the lemon myrtle so far, so it'll be. I'll see what happens once we once we give it a bit of a sip. Mm. It's for by the way, it's a gorgeous kind of really dark gold color. Um, yeah, it's almost... it's quite tea colored for something that has no 
like camellia sinensis tea leaves yeah yeah absolutely but it's yeah it's got that really kind of amber but but a dark a darker amber than you'd expect from like a lemongrass and ginger tea mm. so it's really yeah lovely which must be the what would that be it might be the i'm um, actually not sure because i don't think either like i've never seen lemon myrtle tea go dark might be sage mm. i have no idea Maybe it's the eucalyptus? I don't know. Maybe. All right, well, let's give it a go. Oh, whoa. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not uh, being overcome with a sense of Australian pride, <laughs> but it is very interesting. Hmm. Look, it's not, I'm going to say it's not unlike a lot of lemon myrtle teas that I've had. Mm. So it, it's, I, I'd put it in the classics category at this point. Um, yeah. The sage is a different element, but it's not on the front of the taste. I'm not really noticing it at all. I'm just, I'm just getting, oh yeah, this is a nice lemon myrtle tea. That's kind of. Really, what I'm getting from this—it's—it's it's because it blends super well with the lemon myrtle. It's like kind of That's just true. underpinning the lemon myrtle flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't get eucalyptus leaf. I don't know if that's just like me, or I just don't I'm not getting that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't smell any in it either. Um, it's nice. It, it is. It's delicious. You know. <laughs> We're sounding like it's bad, but it is actually quite palatable. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just one thing to me. It feels it really just feels like like a lemon myrtle tea, and that's fine, um, especially if you're feeling patriotic. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's move on to our last. Okay, one. what is it, Michael? This is also from Teas AU, and this one is called Savannah. What can you tell us about Savannah? Oh, um, it is a uh, rooibos-based tea. Uh, with cinnamon, cloves, ginger, and cardamom. So it's going to be very much a sort of, I guess, like Christmassy almost tea. It's like a spicy chai, tea. you know, it's, it's like, basically rooibos chai, yeah. to be honest. Let's... It does smell like chai. That was my first thought. As soon as I smelled the cinnamon and the rooibos, I went, oh, it's, it's going to be like mm. chai. And it definitely smells like chai. It does, it does. Um, and the cardamom. I'm excited for cardamom yeah that's, that's well that's be see that's in like a masala chai and things like that in fact of all of these things is. are so like it's it's yeah that pretty unique combination it almost feels to me like just from the name um and the fact that rooibos is in it it's almost like a south african chai <laughs> and this was boiling water for about three to four minutes yep. as well uh i don't think there's actually really any reason to not steep it longer because uh, it's no, it wouldn't burn, so you could you could have it. Although I have to say, I'm glad that I didn't steep it longer because it looks pretty strong. Well, let's mm. give it a go. Mm. Ooh. You know what? This is exactly what I expected. <laughs> it's a robust chai. Like, mm. I yes, but it's smoother than I expected. I was kind of expecting this to be, you know, kind of like with the Lapsang Souchong and some of the other more, un- like the detox tea from Herbtastic last week as well. I was expecting this one to be a bit like, uh, a bit not conf- confronting is the <laughs> wrong word, but, you know, like an assault on the senses right. in a cool and interesting yeah, way. that makes sense. But it's, 
It's not. It's it's really interesting, but it's really smooth. It, it's easy to drink, which I wasn't expecting. That is actually a good point. It doesn't have any of the bite of like a chai necessarily. Like, yeah. you know the, how you can drink a chai. It's probably, there's probably just not very much clove or something, but you can drink a chai. It's like an understated chai. Yeah. Um, and it's much sweeter <laughs> with the rooibos, like has that sweet, just natural mm. flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this goes down really easy. Mm. I could I could easily accidentally drink a whole cup of this very quickly. Also because of like the sweet rooibos, it's like, it smells almost a bit like brown sugar, you know? Mm. I'm going to say it's actually like, to me, it's not a particularly interesting tea in that regard because it's so, it's kind of, it's kind of like middle of the road you know, mm. in terms of its flavour profile, but... But it's, like, a really easy drink. Well, and, you know, sometimes less is more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, like, the most bizarre thing you've ever tried, but it's, like, nice and does exactly what it should, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm still, I'm still a fan. I'm just probably not going to, you know, I'm not going to be writing an 800-word essay on... Why it's super interesting. Are you writing an essay on another one? <laughs> maybe, maybe on maybe on the popcorn tea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah popcorn tea, memes. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's that's gorgeous. Strong contenders this week again. Always because tea. I have to say the the Jinchuan is like absolutely without a doubt the winner. For oh me. yeah, of course, like. That's no surprise. There's, there's no mystery to that. You can't beat buttery can't popcorn beat in a cup. Butter popcorn tea, like that was a special moment for me actually. Because also mm. like lapsang sushong, we talked about that so much this episode. But lapsang sushong, like you know, I knew exactly what I was expecting. This I was like, what? I didn't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Jin Shuan's amazing. Love, 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 love that. Well, that brings us to the end of this week. Huzzah. Uh, you can Huzzah, find indeed. us on social media uh, at Steeping Podcast on either Facebook or Instagram. If you want to get in touch with us, especially if you are a tea provider and you want us to try one of your teas on the show, feel free to get in contact via social media or you can email us at steepingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Michael Mandalios on Instagram and I'm Twitter. I'm Hayden Rogers on those platforms as well. <laughs> If you haven't checked out Hayden's podcast, Kill My Darlings, make sure you look for that on the That's Not Canon Productions Network as well. So sweet. (laughs) And of course, if you're a fan of That's Not Canon Productions podcasts, including ours and Hayden's and The Story Chunder and any others that you may have uh, seen us or or heard of our friends appearing on, uh, make sure you head to patreon.com slash that's not canon and you can show your support with a monthly donation there and just give us some resources because at the moment we're basically just drinking tea on our home laptops. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there's something magical about that. Oh, absolutely. We love we love a little indie underdog startup. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a great week. We'll see you Bye. soon. Bye. T Infinity. Um came in way I know, I forgot, to be honest. <laughs>
While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to thatsnotcanon.com. Canon with one N. Hey there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. It's Matt Young, and I want you to listen to the Story Chunder podcast. It's based on the live event where Brisbane storytellers tell true and sometimes embarrassing stories from their lives for the delight and approval of a live audience. So listen in to the Story Chunder podcast. I'll see you at the Chunder.